toot toot all aboard the riverboat of news as we sail through the wondrous canals of the Uvalde shooting. Okay, I am so sorry. We are less than a minute in and I feel terrible. Great. Yeah, so listen, we try to be fun on this show even when tackling extremely dark subjects. But let me tell you folks, this will probably be a toughie. I'm guessing there won't be a puppet. What did I just say? All that being said, we are currently on the riverboat of news, and there's no getting off until we do the news. That's just water law. So here's some news. It's been nearly four months since a gunman entered Robb Elementary School on May 24th and killed 19 children and two teachers, as well as wounded 17 others. This was the second deadliest K-12 shooting in America, you know, just being the other time an elementary school was attacked. Now, there's obviously a lot to say about this event in terms of gun control and mental health and schools, and most notably, that if a government is so bogged down with partisan politics and gun worship that it can't do anything useful in the aftermath of such an event, then that government might be irreversibly broken. It seems weird we didn't do much after the first elementary school shooting, but here we are. We're actually not going to talk about any of that, though. Not just because it's like, it's exhausting, but more specifically because something odd happened in relation to this specific event. In addition to everyone having to emotionally process the shooting, there was a whole extra beat where no one seemed to know exactly what the hell actually happened that day. There was a lot of confusion around the timeline of events and multiple conflicting stories coming from the police. It sure seemed like the cops were, you know, liars. And then, before we really knew the whole story, that Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie came out and the nation moved on. Everyone got Baz fever, and June was declared the start of Baz summer. But we here at the Shoddy have been planning to talk about Uvalde for a while, and we wanted to wait until the timeline of events was settled. And now it has been. Sort of. But Baz summer is over. And so here we are. Bazless. Are these Baz Luhrmann jokes doing anything for you in this episode about a school shooting? Hope so. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take everyone through a timeline of what exactly happened in Uvalde on the day in question and the many days that followed. I'm not going to use a lot of names of the victims or parents because we live in a country where being the victim of gun violence actually makes you a political target, which is, you know, wow. And of course, I'm not going to name the shooter because his name isn't worth looking up. It's probably something stupid like Grambus Poopman. I'll probably name some cops, though, and maybe a few more Baz Luhrmann references. You know, I still got a few of those in the old noggin, the old moo-loggin rouge. Like, I can make a joke about how if, 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 if we outlawed guns, then outlaws would call their guns swords, like in Romeo plus Juliet or something. It's not a great joke. Alright, still workshopping it. You know, maybe I won't do any more Baz Luhrmann jokes from here on. They're getting in the way. The same way Baz fever got in the way of our Baz summer. Okay, enough stalling. Here we go. Also, like, just all of the trigger warnings. The Uvalde shooting. What the hell happened? 
This is all based on the most official timeline we have, according to an investigation by the Texas House Committee. The 18-year-old gunman, having just shot his grandmother earlier in the day, arrives at Robb Elementary School at 11.28 a.m. He crashes his car in a ditch and fires three rounds at two witnesses. They are unharmed and call 911 as the gunman approaches the school. One minute later, a teacher who propped a door open on the west side of the building spots the shooter and immediately shuts the propped open door and also calls 911. This is according to surveillance cameras that also spot her alerting students to stay in their classrooms. You might recognize this as the first, um, let's call it inaccuracy that the police initially told about the shooting. In the aftermath of the event, the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, Stephen C. McCraw, claimed that the door had been left propped open by this teacher. This was later proven false by the aforementioned security footage. However, the door did not lock once shut. Now, the time the shooter spent outside the school changed drastically as well. On May 26th, two days after the event, the Texas Department of Public Safety claimed the gunman was outside the school for 12 minutes. A day later, they would change that to just five minutes. There was also conflicting information on the school resource officer. According to Sergeant Eric Estrada, no time to dwell on that name, unfortunately, I'm sorry. When the school shooter got to the school, he initially encountered a resource officer and dropped a bag of ammunition. Like a, like a, like a physical bag that I imagine this officer saw. Estrada would also claim the shooter wore body armor, which we later learned he was not wearing. According to Travis Considine, the chief of communications with the Texas Department of Public Safety, the gunman not only encountered this resource officer, but shot him. Except they would almost immediately walk that statement back, saying there was no resource officer at the school. Later, there would be a separate report that claimed a police officer outside the school had a chance to shoot the gunman before he got in. But that report was later disputed and changed to say that the officer confused the school coach with the shooter. That's probably the true event, but leaves the question of when exactly the police arrived. Were they there before he entered the school or not? How long was he outside? Was it 12 minutes or five minutes? How could they think that the gunman fucking shot someone before he went in and then turn around and say that never happened and the alleged victim wasn't even there? That's not a subtle difference in events. That's the difference between a person existing somewhere and not existing. And boy, we haven't even gotten to the part where the gunman enters the building. For context, the information we're grappling with heavily involves the span of time between the event on May 24th and a briefing by the Texas Department of Public Safety on May 27th, and how during that time, the cops changed their story at least a dozen times. For example, here's Lieutenant Chris Olivares describing the police's first attempt to enter the school. They tried to make entry into the building. They were met with gunfire by the suspect, by the shooter. Some of those officers were shot. So at that point, they began breaking windows around the school, trying to evacuate children, teachers, anybody they could, uh, trying to get them out of that building, out of that school. What we do know at that point, the shooter was able to make entry into a classroom, barricaded himself inside that classroom, and again, just began shooting uh, numerous children and teachers that were in that classroom. Nearly everything he just said there, was false. It says here, false. Like, you know how things can be true? This wasn't that. Intentionally false would be a lie, but we are fair and balanced and TM and C and R. So maybe not lies, but false. 
And with all of this talk of gunfire exchange with resource officers and cops being shot, I just want to go ahead and note that the official report eventually concluded that zero cops were shot during this event. At one point, several cops were hit by building fragments caused by the shooter's bullets, but just know that any clip you see of an official claiming the cops were shot is untrue or lies. The only people shot were the children and teachers. The cops did just fine. And so at 11.33 a.m., the gunman enters the school. He walks to room 111, which connects to room 112. And for the next two and a half minutes, he fires at least 100 rounds. And to quote the official report, the attacker fired most of his shots and likely murdered most of his innocent victims before any responder set foot in the building. The key words there are most and likely. Because as we all know, this is far from over. At 11.35 a.m., two minutes later, several police officers entered the school. They will not actually take down the gunman until a few minutes after this. And I'm, of course, using the word few pretty liberally to mean 73 minutes. This is, of course, the span of time that got the most attention. Although I really need to stress how goddamn sketchy everything until this point also was. And how everything that cop said about police having a shootout with the suspect before he entered the school was a lie. Or, again, maybe he misspoke. Or rather, maybe he misspoke twice in two different interviews. Local law enforcement engaged with him before he entered the school? Right, so we had local law enforcement from Uvalde Police Department, one of the school police officers, as well as state troopers that arrived on scene. They were the initial officers on scene. They heard the gunfire. Um, they were met with gunfire as they encountered this gunman who was able to shoot two police officers. Um, Non-life-threatening injuries, they, they are stable, they are out of the hospital, but at that point, they were at a disadvantage because the gunman was able to make entry into a classroom, barricaded himself inside that classroom, and then that's when just he just started shooting children and the teachers that we talked about, two teachers that were killed inside that classroom. Once again, that's Lieutenant Chris Olivares telling CNN the exact same false story of lies that he told the Today Show. You might also have caught the word barricade in there, as in the suspect apparently barricaded himself in the classrooms. This is also a lie, as in not true. While the gunman did fire shots at the door several times to ward off cops, the classroom doors were unlocked the entire time. I repeat, they were unlocked. Nor was there anything blocking the doors. In fact, the cops didn't even try to open the doors, but apparently were comfortable claiming they were barricaded shut. Probably because if that door wasn't locked, it would be very hard to explain why they didn't notice that earlier. And we're gonna circle back to that in a moment. It's now 11.38 a.m. According to testimony by several officers, no one heard any screams or crying coming from the rooms. The initial shooting had stopped, and Pete Arredondo, the chief of the school district's police department, made the decision to treat the suspect as a barricaded subject instead of an active shooter. You know, despite the fact that he wasn't at all barricaded. But sure, you could argue this was a reasonable plan at the moment, except, as the report states, the approach never changed over the course of the incident, despite evidence that Chief Arredondo's perspective evolved to a later understanding that fatalities and injuries within the classrooms were a very strong probability. And when we say strong probability, it should be noted that students in the classroom called 911 six times between now and when the shooter was killed. 
not that we need to, but to once more quote this report, given the information known about victims who survived through the time of the breach and who later died on the way to the hospital, it is plausible that some victims could have survived if they had not had to wait 73 additional minutes for rescue. Really can't stress this enough. After the initial shooting, it took the police 73 minutes to confront the shooter, which according to Greg Abbott and police officials at the time counted as a quick response where they engaged immediately with the suspect. But bottom line is that law enforcement was there. They did engage immediately. They did contain him in the classroom and they put the tactical stack together, you know, in a very orderly way and of course breached and, and assaulted the individual. And it is a fact that because of their quick response, getting on the scene, being able to respond to the gunman and eliminate the gunman, they were able to save lives. 73 minutes. What they're referring to there is 73 minutes. If it took Domino's 73 minutes to chauffeur your awaited Mitza, you would demand consequences. There's no job where you can define immediately as over an hour, especially when actual lives are on the line. So at this point, it's important to note that not all of the inconsistencies here are malicious in nature, or rather, they might not be. For example, the classroom door did have a steel frame designed to make it hard to breach from the outside, if the door was locked, which it wasn't. And so maybe that was interpreted to mean it was barricaded. This isn't to defend the cops so much as to say that the false reporting we saw was likely a combination of people playing telephone and, perhaps more so, people trying desperately to hide their incompetence. This isn't a conspiracy is what I want to make very clear. The cops weren't helping the shooter, but rather were very bad at their jobs and then tried to retell the event in a way that hid how bad they were at their jobs. A very clear example of this is when the Texas Tribune interviewed Chief Arredondo on June 9th. He's the guy who was perceived as being in charge during the shooting. In that interview, Arredondo attributes the 73-minute wait to the fact that they were trying to find a master key to open the classroom door, a door that he claimed was unbreachable otherwise. To quote the interview, Arredondo checked to see if the door on the right, room 111, would open. Another officer tried room 112. Both doors were locked. Also, according to the interview, once he got the keys, none of them worked. To quote Arredondo, the only thing that was important to me at this time was to save as many teachers and children as possible. And also, each time I tried a key, I was just praying. The interview paints the picture of a hero cop desperately trying to get into this locked room, thwarted by the incompetence of the school. After all, remember the false claim that the outside door was left open by a teacher? But what the article buries and surveillance footage would later confirm is that Arredondo didn't try those keys on the door to the actual classroom where the shooter was. As we already noted, that door was unlocked the entire time, meaning that Arredondo flat out lied when he said he tried rooms 111 and 112. In short, no one ever pulled the handles to those doors, probably because nobody wanted to. All except 
one cop, actually. According to the report, a single Uvalde officer named Javier Martinez was the only person seen on body camera footage to actually try to engage the shooter. More than an hour before the police would eventually enter the room, Martinez followed his active shooter training by advancing on the classrooms and preparing to breach. But he didn't because, and this is real, no one else followed him. Because, you know, they were scared. Martinez was then sent to a different part of the school to evacuate other kids while the rest of the cops stood there for another hour. Now, this is just my personal opinion, mind you. But going back to that timeline between the time when the police entered the school and then took down the gunman 73 minutes later, the cops spent the majority of that span in full tactical gear, looking for every excuse not to risk their lives and go in there. As Arredondo tested the useless keys on other doors, an ever-increasing number of people and equipment were brought in. SWAT officers, then a Border Patrol tactical unit. They brought in four additional tactical shields and then just... I don't know, held on to them? Meanwhile, at 11.54 a.m., a video posted to Facebook showed the ever-increasing concern from the parents outside, many of whom began to beg the police to help their kids, some of whom were detained by the police for attempting to enter the school. Y'all can't be like that when there's people... Yes, I do! Get across the street! Because I'm having to deal with you! Get across the street! Get across the street! Okay, we're gonna back up! Are you gonna walk into that gate and get him? And during this time, no command post was set up. The cops just stood in the hall, hearing the occasional gunshots and wondering who's gonna do something. And yes, at least one officer rescued their own child during this time. At no point did they discuss the 911 calls coming from the classroom. In fact, according to the video, they are told by a dispatcher that a child called 911 and they do nothing. According to body camera footage, at 12.34, someone asks, we don't know if he has anyone in the room with him, do we? To which Arredondo says, I think he does. That's 20 minutes before they enter the room. 10 minutes before that, they heard additional gunshots. Afterward, Arredondo is heard saying, quote, we've lost two kids. At 11.56, a half hour earlier, a DPS special agent asks, quote, y'all don't know if there's kids in there? And then adds, if there is, then they just need to go in. And of course, there were kids in there. Dying kids, hiding kids, kids playing dead, waiting for someone to do something. The cops absolutely knew this. And we know this from the absolutely gut-punching accounts from these kids of what happened. And of course, the story of the police at some point calling out, yell if you need help to the classroom. A kid responding that they did in fact need help and the shooter coming in and shooting that kid for speaking up. 73 minutes. 376 law enforcement officers. And finally, at 12.50 p.m., a group of Border Patrol agents, having no official permission to do so, decide to breach the room and kill the gunman. Had they not decided to do that, Lord knows how much longer this would have gone on. This absolutely unimaginable clown show resulting in even more unimaginable death, followed by a frenzy of cops flat out lying and distorting the facts to make them seem halfway competent, to the point that they actually tried to block the release of these records so that people wouldn't see how profoundly weasel sh 
act they acted during this time. Anywho. Also, uh, nah, it just says fuck here. So we're going to break for some inappropriately toned ads. And when we come back, we will talk about what exactly went wrong and the aftermath of this event. And perhaps if there's a lesson to be learned from this particular police response. Yay. Ads. Hey, it's Cody. You know what I value? my privacy. Why, every night when I take off my beard after a long day of bearding, I do so in the privacy of my own beard shed. My beard shed contains wonders far beyond your human morality, which is why it's guarded by several dogs. You have no laws to punish my deeds, bwahahaha. Anyway, this is why I want to tell you about ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is like a beard shed for your computer. With it, your connection gets routed through an encrypted server that masks your IP address, making it way harder for data brokers to get their grubby hands on your location. Just like my many enemies who want my many lush beards, Data brokers love to buy and sell your information, but ExpressVPN puts a stop to that. Stop, I say! And here's the best part. It's super easy to use, much like my beard. Every time I turn on my ExpressVPN, I'm given a random IP address that makes it way more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my information. It also works on any device you own, like a phone or a laptop or beard, or several beards. So check it out! Visit expressvpn.com slash more news and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash more news. Go to expressvpn.com slash more news to learn more. Do it for beard. Wowza, it's nearly the time in the year in which ads say it's nearly the time for holidays. Gift giving and such. I don't know about you, but I've got a long list of people on my mailing list. Every year, hundreds of people all being sent my special holiday slurry. It's a mix of various creams and meats shredded in paper that I stuff in Ziploc bags and I mail it all using Stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to skip that long holiday line at the post office and mail your slurries from your own home. All you need to mail slurries from your own home is a computer and a printer. They'll even let you schedule a slurry pickup from their online dashboard. <laughs> That's slurry-rific. Hey, did I mention that they even offer for major discounts on USPS and UPS rates, like up to 86% off, delicious. Like my Katie slurry. It's for you to eat, you know, you must. You must eat the holiday slurry. Anyway, stamps.com. You can ship all the liquids and solids and in between slurries you want, any size, anywhere, anytime. So get ahead of the holiday chaos this year. Get started with stamps.com today and start shipping your news slurries. Sign up with promo code MORE NEWS for a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page and enter code more news yum 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 drink up hey are you still watching cool 
I don't blame you for not watching if you aren't, but if you aren't, then how are you watching this right now and answering my question about whether you're watching? Don't know, don't care. We were just recounting the obscenely incompetent police response to the Uvalde shooting and compared the official timeline with the many false claims made by the police, including claiming that the super dead suspect was in custody at one point, which seems like a really avoidable piece of misinformation. Anyway, thanks for sticking with us if you are, in fact, sticking with us. As a reward, here's an adorable picture of a cartoon shoe. Nothing sad about that shoe. Okay, so what failed? You know, besides our nation's gun laws and gun culture and partisan inaction and poor mental health care system, and let me rephrase, what failed in terms of the police? The report included a few non-police factors specific to Uvalde. For example, their proximity to the border created a lot of false alarms, and the school itself had a few safety protocols that failed. But neither of those really excuse or explain the failure of the police, which was a response to those failures. And the big takeaway, like, like the one I really want to stick with you here, is that there were 376 law enforcement officers there. I know I said that already, but boy, that's a lot of cops. That's almost an entire ska band's worth of cops. But what I think most of the country concluded is that the tragedy in Uvalde was due to an inept local police force. I think people told themselves that to feel like this is an isolated failure of a handful of specific cops. And yes, it is absolutely true that the Uvalde School District Police had active shooter training and completely failed to use that training when first responding to the event except for that one guy who nobody followed. That training stating that police should immediately engage with an active shooter to prevent additional deaths, which, again, they didn't do. Again, except for the single officer I mentioned before, no one followed him in. But here's the thing. There, of course, aren't. 376 local Uvalde cops. And in fact, according to that official report I've been referencing, the majority of cops there were federal and state law enforcement. On the scene, there were 91 officers for the Texas Department of Public Safety, aka the state police, whose responsibilities specifically include, quote, mass attacks in public places. Only 25 people there were Uvalde police officers, and 16 more were sheriff's deputies. The rest were stadies, neighboring police forces, border patrol officers, f***ing DEA, and U.S. Marshals. My point here being that this group of blue-clad gawkers basically represented a sample size of every type of police force available. This wasn't Officer Turtle f and his bumbling gang of gumps. This was the f***ing police. Cops you would encounter in any state in any city, all ignoring that active shooter training and not engaging with the gunmen. And so to quote the report for the millionth time, Uvalde CISD and its police department failed to implement their active shooter plan and failed to exercise command and control of law enforcement responding to the tragedy. But these local officials were not the only ones expected to supply the leadership needed during this tragedy. Hundreds of responders from numerous law enforcement agencies, many of whom were better trained and better equipped than the school district police, quickly arrived on the scene. Those other responders, who also had received training on active shooter response and the interrelation of law enforcement agencies, could have helped to address the unfolding chaos. 376 cops from all over the state, and only a single one 
was actually willing to step up and risk their life to prevent the slaughter of children. By the way, that one cop, Lieutenant Javier Martinez, doesn't look like Vin Diesel. He looks like this which in some communities is sexier than Vin Diesel. Anyway, I, I don't know if he's a good cop or not. I generally don't have good things to say about cops, but hey, good job trying to save children this one time. Sorry the other 375 cops with you weren't willing to do the same. Because, as some people discovered in the days following, cops do not have a constitutional duty to protect a person from harm, even if that person is a child. They are what we, to be frank, have been saying they are on this very show for years. Despite movies and politicians and cops themselves claiming otherwise, the police don't exist to run toward danger. No, you're thinking of firefighters. Cops, on the other hand, are there to protect property and enforce laws. Despite being taught that they're heroes, they aren't actually trained to do heroic things. That's why they are so quick to gun down an unarmed black person because they, quote, felt threatened by them, and why they seem to be at their most run and gun when facing off against a bunch of protesters or, God forbid, a single old man. They are, for the most part, bullies. And if you've ever met a bully, you know that they tend to be cowards. Weeks of pain in Uvalde, Robb Elementary, where the community still comes to remember 21 innocent lives lost, is where Angeli Gomez made a split decision to save her kids from a gunman, a decision she says has led to harassment and threats by Uvalde police. She says they not only stopped her, but handcuffed her and tackled some parents to the ground. What are you, why are you doing it to us? And y'all can't even go in there and do it to the shooter. Angeli says after a few minutes, she did calm down and officers uncuffed her. That's when she ran, hopped a nearby fence and ran inside. Weeks after the shooting, Angeli says she's still being threatened with arrest. She claims she's been watched by Uvalde police in marked cars. Uvalde police have not responded to requests for comment. I've also had a cop park here while me and my grandmother are ex exercising, flickering on and off his headlights just watching us, I don't know what he's doing. That's the story of Angeli Gomez, a mother who was detained by the police outside of Robb Elementary before going in and evacuating an entire classroom of kids. Angeli showed bravery in the face of danger, which is probably why she isn't a cop. And for whatever reason, her defiance of the police caused them to threaten her with obstruction of justice and then straight up harass her in the following days, which perfectly illustrates what cops are actually good at doing being bullies. Bullies, and of course, liars. As we've pointed out here, they lied a lot about what happened. And while some of these lies might have been misunderstandings, most feel like attempts to cover their asses. As you can imagine, a lot of this came down on Uvalde School District Police Chief Pete Arredondo, who in response has woven so many inaccuracies about what he was doing that day. In that interview with the Texas Tribune, he claims that he assumed another official or department was in command, except you can clearly see him giving orders in the surveillance video. Not to mention that he co-authored the school's active shooter plan, which specifically states that the chief would, quote, become the person in control of the efforts of all law enforcement and first responders that arrive at the scene. He has since resigned from the city council and has been terminated from his job. 
The only other person punished was Lieutenant Mariano Pargas. He was the acting police chief for the city of Uvalde that day, and the person originally told that a child called 911 from the classroom. Information that he apparently just kept to himself? So yeah, probably good that those two guys are being held accountable. Good that they are seeing consequences for their incompetence and lying. But as I feel like I've really, really stressed here, these two cops weren't the only cops that were a problem. Not just in Uvalde at this one event, but like everywhere, all the time. What we saw here was just a sample of a larger problem put under a microscope due to the horrific nature of the crime. But cops lie all the time, and perhaps they should be held accountable all the time, and also media and people in general should be a bit more incredulous about literally anything they claim. And we don't even have to dig very deep to see this. We can just look at the most high-profile cases. In the death of Breonna Taylor, an innocent woman shot by police in her own home, the no-knock warrant that led to her death was obtained when the officers lied in their affidavit to secure it. They claimed that a postal inspector had confirmed drug shipments to her home which didn't happen. And these types of lies apparently happen all of the time to get these warrants. In the case of George Floyd, you can actually read the initial report put out by cops, which is as follows. Quote, two officers arrived and located the suspect, a male believed to be in his 40s in his car. He was ordered to step from his car. After he got out, he physically resisted officers. Officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. Officers called for an ambulance. He was transported to Hennepin County Medical Center by ambulance, where he died a short time later. Wait. That leaves out a lot of details, doesn't it? The whole kneeling on the neck for nearly 10 minutes part, to be specific. Or when Floyd pleaded with the officers that he couldn't f***ing breathe. You really have to wonder what would have happened if this press release was the only account of this event. Just like we have to wonder what lies the Uvalde cops would have stuck with if we never saw the video evidence. Hey, speaking of, the cops who beat Rodney King originally reported that he sustained, quote, minor cuts and bruises when Walter Scott was shot in the back from 20 feet away while running from a cop. That cop originally reported that he, quote, feared for his life. In all of these events, the presence of cameras were the only thing to eventually expose these lies. And so, once again, you really have to wonder, don't you? Well, I'm f***ing tired. I haven't checked, but this must be the longest episode we've done, right? And we're gonna do one more break. And you know, thank you all for sticking with this one. Here's another reward in the form of a drawing of a lion cub cuddling with his dad. Adorable. So sleepy. Okay, I'm gonna lie down under the desk while you watch these ads. Good night. Hey there, little squirt. It's DJ CJ hucking mad advertisements at your tiny squirt face. You know, someday you can be big and strong like Cody, but to do that, you have to eat a lot of air. I eat so much air to get big and strong. I also drink, mostly in ads, AG1 by Athletic Greens. They're the category-leading superfood product that takes all your much-needed vitamins and stuffs it all into one nutritious drink. That's like soup, but in a glass, or really thick air. 
in a glass. Which you need to eat lots of. The drink and the air, I mean. Because we don't always have time to eat enough air, and so AG1 helps with that by replacing multiple products, like air, or pills, with a single source of daily nutrition. Just one tasty scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin? Yes. It's good for any lifestyle, like a vegan, or a paleo, or a keto, and fills the nutritional gaps in your diet and supports a healthy immune system. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash more news today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash more news today to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. It's delicious, not like air, which tastes terrible, so. <gasps> oh my God, how long was I out? It was like two minutes. Our ads are not long enough. Maybe I'll start reading them real slow. Anyway, cops, they lie if you recall, and are generally bad at their jobs, unless their job is to lie. And in that case, they are extremely good at their job because they lie all the time. People are now realizing this more and more thanks to the fact that everyone now has the ability to record with their phones. When BuzzFeed News looked into it, they found 62 examples of video footage contradicting cop statements since 2008. That includes police reports and testimonies. See, here's the frustrating part. Well, here's one of the many frustrating parts. Cops are generally trusted by judges in courtrooms. It is, for some reason, accepted that their testimony is more truthful than others. This is despite the fact that cops literally have a phrase for lying on the stand, which they adorably call testalying. In fact, cops have even more incentive to lie than any other type of witness. For starters, under the Fourth Amendment, any evidence obtained illegally can't be used during a trial, so cops have to routinely falsify justifications for such arrests or searches. For example, in 2006, a narcotics officer claimed that an informant bought drugs at a home that they wanted to search. That was a lie. And the ensuing police raid resulted in the shooting death of a fucking 92-year-old woman in the house. A similar thing happened in 2019, in which an officer lied on his affidavit, obtained a warrant, and that warrant resulted in a raid that killed two people. All based on a lie. Of course, these are just the lies we know about, the high-profile ones that make the news. You see, the second reason cops lie all the time is that they are rarely punished when caught. In one report examining 181 NYPD officers who gave false statements, they found that 80 of them faced no discipline for their actions, while 42 were given the equivalent of a slap on the wrist. In other words, while the consequences for doing an illegal search or brutalizing a suspect are, at least sometimes, very serious, the consequences for lying about those things are not. And so it's in the cop's best interest to lie, all the time, about anything that might make them look bad. It comes naturally to them, because in their minds, the ends justify the means. They have been told that they are heroes deserving of everyone's respect, that they are better than us, and so it's okay if they lie. 
It's a combination of gross incompetence, low morals, and this inflated ego that makes what happened in Uvalde possible. We've created a group of people who both act despicably and simultaneously expect an unearned reverence. The end result being the biggest lie of all. So what we're experiencing right now is a byproduct of what society has forced police to become. You know, they're demonizing military training for law enforcement. And then obviously we just experienced defund the police. And yeah. you know, nearly every large city has seen a crazy rise in crime. That's former Green Beret sniper and current asshole Tim Kennedy making the case that Uvalde's failing was the result of people not respecting or defunding the police. Now, first of all, did they defund the police? A couple places kind of did and reversed course pretty quickly. Certain types of crime are up even in places where they didn't defund the police. Speaking of, when it comes to public safety in this nation, the answer is not defund the police, it's fund the police. Fund the police. And give them, we expect them to do everything. We expect them to be, to protect us, to be psychologists and to be sociologists. I mean, we expect you to do everything. I'm not joking. Dude's literally using an argument for why we should defund the police and reallocate their resources to those better suited and trained to help as an argument to fund the police more. But anyway, this Uvalde happened because of defund the police was a sentiment we saw from a few places in the aftermath. One that died out the moment it became clear how fully armored and funded these Texas cops were as they completely f***ed the dog. I really think this is why so many people were happy to move on from this aspect of the Uvalde story. Because along with what it said about our failings in terms of gun control and mental health care, this event was an example of how, even when given all the equipment and support, the police are fundamentally ill-equipped to handle a situation like this. And in fact, will resort to lying to save face. The narrative of police being the sentries at the gates of chaos, the last line of defense, brave shepherds protecting an ignorant flock. That was all a lie. Because even when 376 cops faced a single person committing an unimaginable act of evil, they didn't do anything to stop it because they were scared or confused or following orders. Human beings in a system of protocol and training and culture that failed to actually prepare them to handle a life or death situation. And the answer there isn't to fund them more, but ask how this system became so broken that this many cops had no clue how to do their job and then lied about it afterward. But at the very least, if there's one thing we should take away from this absolutely horrible event, I mean, there are a lot of things to take away from it. But for the purposes of this video, one of the more important things we need to remember is that cops lie all the time. And perhaps we need to start functioning based on that reality. Perhaps journalists shouldn't be stenographers for cops and people shouldn't just believe police statements. Perhaps judges and courtrooms should consider this in every event going forward. They lie. We know this, and until we see fundamental changes to the system, we shouldn't expect anything else from them. Anyway, bummer. So sorry. Sorry I ruined Baz Summer for you all. If it helps, 
here's a picture of a cartoon dinosaur dying to make you feel better. You know, because we hate dinosaurs. And hey, the sweltering Baz heat may be dying down. I mean, symbolically, not literally. But at least we can look forward to a Geppetto winter. Woo! Great episode, everyone. Not at all depressing, says a cop. So, you know, grain of salt and all that. Okay, sleep time now. Bye. Warmbo, if you're gonna, like, sleep near me, be less wet. You're, like, damp. How are you damp? Ha-cha-cha! And a bottle of rum. Thanks for watching, everybody. We are the show you just watched. Make sure to like and subscribe and check out our patreon.com slash some more news. We got merch with that wet little freak on it. And we've got a podcast called Even More News. And you can listen to this show as a podcast if you prefer to listen instead of listen and watch. And I'm not preparing to say anything. I'm just sort of drifting off. And then I trail off. And then we, we eventually we cut. Eventually we cut.